Welcome to the 
Very funny, you guys. Well, that's, that's, that is the thing. It's like, why do we have to remember history? Why do we have to retell the American story? And this time include women as part of that narrative and part of the canvas and fabric of this country. And it, it is because what was amazing for them at that time, you have to remember, this is a time that before women could drive, they flew airplanes. Before, before they left their homes, they went to uh, Sweetwater, Texas, and left their families, some of them left their children, in order to be trained to, to fly all different types of airplanes that the Army uh, was, was uh, using, ferrying um, all these different airplanes that the Army uh, had. Let me ask a follow-up question. So just to clarify for our audience, so these, these were not combat troops, they were non-combat troops. What exactly did they do? Hillary, would you like to take this one? <laughs> yeah, and actually, Hillary, if you, if you wouldn't mind also introducing yourself, that would oh, be yes. great. Yes. Hillary, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Hillary Prentice, and I am Matias' producer on this incredible project that is like a dream come true to be working on. Um, and I'm glad, Don, that you asked about whether or not they were in combat. I'm just going to throw out there <laughs> that um, Tammy Duckworth has a great quote where she says, I wasn't in combat, but do you think I lost both my legs sitting behind a desk? Exactly. Um, so technically, they were not in quote unquote combat. They were not in the European theater of war or the Pacific but I would argue that that doesn't mean what they were doing wasn't incredibly dangerous when you consider that the only reason why the military even allowed women pilots at all at this time is because there was such a shortage of pilots and male pilots were dying at a rate of 66% stateside. So I'm just going to say that again, 66% stateside. And that is because this was a time when aviation was just being developed. It was incredibly dangerous to just get in a plane and take off on the runway. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I cringe a little bit at that question about combat also maybe because um, that is the question that Mattia has gotten for many years. Um, and it's been a reason why no offense, but the male executives that she's been pitching to have have um, not been interested. They they haven't been able to see the story because they weren't in combat. So what's the story? Right. Yeah. So so wait wait once again, Dawn, a movie and TV producers who are men don't get a story about women. <laughs> this is so unusual. We've this is, never heard such a thing before. Never. We're, we're, say, we're, we're saying this, guys, because it so irritates both of us that because we're both writers and filmmakers, and we we are we care about the stories of women in these particular kinds of roles, and and what you're going through is what we've dealt with. Obviously, and I was a little ways. bit disingenuous asking that question because I do remember uh, when the first female Marines were. Um, were being uh, brought over to the Middle East. And again, it was this distinction of, well, they're not in combat, but they're driving trucks on the battlefield. So the distinction, exactly. yeah, the <laughs> distinction between whether or not they're quote unquote in combat is, is really quite murky. 
Yeah, I just I, I want to add to that that 25 American women did go to England and uh, they did uh, fight with the ATA, and that's the Air Transport Auxiliary uh, part of the RAF that was a civilian branch. And so they were right there in the theater of war. Right. And 38 women did lose their lives. This again, going back stateside here. So this was dangerous. And oh, I know my point being that this was a different type of war. World War One was fought very differently than World War Two. That that uh, air power would be the way that we would win this war. And because we were fighting the Germans in, Luft, in the Luftwaffe, that planes became uh, an instrumental. Uh, component of how we would we would fight the battle and how we would win win this uh, war, and so when when Hillary is talking about these planes that were just being shoved off the factory uh, floor at, with with no real uh, no one had test. Uh, flown them. In fact, these women were the test pilots for these new planes. And all they had was a, a, a little piece of paper that said, okay, you know, put it into gear, turn the key and, and good luck, you know, I mean, yeah. basically, you know, so um, that's why the Air Force, this is why this is so important, because air, air power was so important to winning World War II. And in fact, um, when the WASP program began, we were losing the war. The Allies were losing. That's right. That's right. In, 19, in 1943, uh, 1942, 1943 was the, one of the years, worst year, was it 42 maybe, was the worst year for the, the Allies. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know how much air supremacy was important in the Pacific. I'm more... I'm more familiar with the Pacific theater because of my father, mm. but so I, but I, so I know that that kind of air supremacy meant a big deal. Of course, the aircraft carrier comes into really stark relief at that point. You said something though, Mattia, that I, I'm, I'm wondering, I, I really am interested in. You say they, many of these women could fly before they could drive. Mm -hmm. uh, is that, so were these, this is the individual women uh, who were pilots very early in their life, or, or am I misunderstanding? Yeah, well, no, 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 no. You are, you are understanding. You have to. If we go back and we think about the golden era of aviation, uh, which is late twenties, thirties, people like Jackie Cochran, uh, who was this was um, the fastest racer, man or woman. So it wasn't just Amelia Earhart who who came to prominence at, at these air race shows, and they had them in Cleveland and Santa Monica. And so we know of uh, Amelia Earhart, but we don't know of the other women who who flew at that time. Uh, so yes, so flying for them was something that was in the air. You know that Lindbergh and um, Amelia Earhart, of course. If you if you think that our women that that were, let's say, uh, in 1940s and 41, 42, were in their 20s. They were the first generation of women to be born after women had the right to vote. That's a very interesting point. Yeah, yeah. you know, and so, and I just want to say that this, this documentary is not just about the events of what women did, but who these women are and who they were, because there's something fierce about all of them. They have a sense of humor. They have a way of looking at life that, that doesn't deter them from, from whatever they want. And their message that Hillary always reminds us is that they said they, they, wanted, they want every girl and boy to know that they can grow up to be whatever they want to be. Because most of these, most women during this period in the 19, late uh, 30s, let's say, were 
um, hairdressers, school teachers, nurses. And that was it. It was like you didn't really have much of a choice. And they found their freedom in the skies. And many of them talked about that the, the, that the uh, sky is a great um, leveler. And Haydu's great quote is that the plane doesn't care if you're a man flying it or a woman flying it or a monkey flying it. <laughs> you know, it's just it just wants to fly. So um, it, their love of flying is what propelled them and 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 gave them, I think, the endurance and the stamina and the perseverance to to do what they what they just love to do, what they needed to do. Oh, I see Hillary uh, wants to jump in, and I, I want to make a comment. Hillary, if you might just like very make a quick comment, um, which is that uh, one you were talking about the, the the women pilots in the twenties, and Dawn and I have for a while been wanting to do an episode on the women's air derby in Santa Monica, that great derby of those. So anyway, we're we're they're on our radar. The fact that there were so many women pilots besides Amelia Earhart, and I think it would, people should know it. And the fierceness you talk about is something that I've always noted about that era. The era from through suffrage, for the, the rise of suffrage through when women get suffrage. You have these women who are really breaking boundaries uh, all over. But, but you particularly notice it because we were in the English-speaking country, the English-speaking world. You see these different stories of different women. So I think it's an interesting that you point out their fierceness because that does show. It still echoes mm-hmm. through the ages when you look at their stories. So, Hillary, I'm sorry. Please, go ahead. Oh, no. I just wanted to jump in um and mention that uh, this was a time that many women didn't have driver's licenses. It wasn't a law per se, although uh, honestly, actually, I haven't, I haven't done research. I'm always surprised to find state by state some of the laws that were in place, um, you know, where women couldn't own property or have a credit card or that kind of thing, which are, which are always surprising to find. But it was, you know, it, it was not something that women were encouraged to do, to go out and get their driver's licenses or, you know, even even education. That was a means to um, to marriage. So for for, you know, again, I'm speaking generally and obviously there are, are women who said, no, that's not for me or I'm going to do other things. Um Certainly, in my own family tree, I have women who who who've always kind of pushed boundaries. Um, but it, it, it's it's difficult when you know society as a whole is telling you this is what your roles are in society, whether you're a man or woman or black or white. There is that um, piece of fabric in our society that exists that tells you where your what what your lane is. And then in terms of when these women started to fly, it's it's really interesting. That's why it's so great that you know our, we're diving into their personal stories. Some of the women did fly when they were little, and some of them learned. You know, when the war started, they pinched their pennies. And one of our main characters, B. Haydu, who's no longer with us, she she was Jewish, and she was in Long Island, and would go looking for a job and there were plenty of wanted ads where, you know, where it said Jews need not apply. And yet we're over fighting a war, you know, where they're, they're putting Jews in concentration camps, but, you know, and so then she's, she's saving her money and then she's figuring out how to go to an airport because there weren't that many airports that had, um, that allowed people to fly at, at that time. It was all, you know, the war, the war effort, but she would go away for a weekend and get in the hours that she had to have in order to, 
enlist in this program. Um, this program was a program where women had to have, you know, the hours, the, the changes over time, but 500 hours seems to be the requirement for most of the time this program existed. So you couldn't join unless you had 500 hours. And if you compare that to a man enlisting, you know, the army said, we'll train you. You don't have to have any flight hours. Right, right. They did whatever they could. <laughs> yeah. And they entered the program at a level of proficiency already. Correct. Yeah. And that got them into trouble because they had male flight instructors who some of them didn't know as much as they did. But those flight instructors could fail them and that would wash them out. And that had devastating consequences for them to be to be washed out of the program. For some women, it, w- it was life or death, literally. I want to I want to ask you just on on that note. There's a couple of things that we brought up. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what their training was. So you you brought up what what they were expected to have had in terms of flight experience. We can talk a little bit about that. And then also you mentioned, uh, or maybe Mattia mentioned uh, Jackie Cochran. And so when I was looking through the the information that you guys have on the site and looking up stuff on the WASP, Jackie Cochran and Nancy Harkness Love, I believe it was, were the two women who came up to seem to be the women pushing to create these programs and there was kind of a rival program. So can we talk a little bit about how those two women or how they, these, this, these, uh, this WASP program came about, like what, what were the steps, who were the people that brought it forth? And then let's talk a little bit about what you were just saying about what, how women were trained once they be, once they entered the program. Yes. Um, we are simplifying, um, a great deal in some cases. So with regard to Nancy Harkness Love and Jacqueline Cochran, there was, there was much debate about, uh, who did what and, and, uh, and when, and a lot of that was, um, let's say idle gossip. Uh, but the simple answer is that Nancy Harkness Love had an, had this very elite group of women pilots that she wanted to ferry planes. And um, uh, I, can you tell, tell us who they were first, too, for the listener, who Nancy Harkness and Jackie Cochran were? Just a little bit about who, who are they? So just, again, speaking broadly, um, Nancy Harkness Love was a pilot from a young age, um, and she tried the air racing. She didn't love it. And she was married to a man in the military um, that got moved to DC, I believe it was, but their house was up north. So she would fly back and forth. And uh, one of her husband's colleagues in the military saw her flying and got this idea and said to her, boy, you fly. Are there other women who fly? Because we have a shortage of pilots. Well, meanwhile, totally separately, Um, Jackie Cochran, who loved the air races and won the air races, um, she had a vision for a women air force. And because she was in these air races, she had a relationship with Hap Arnold. She was a mover and shaker. She had a relationship with Eleanor Roosevelt. This was a woman who came from absolutely nothing. Um, Her life story is, is really incredible. And I encourage everybody to go and read about her. But she had the 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 means and the um, the chutzpah, as Mentina likes to say, um, and she is the woman who took twenty five women over to England because Hap told her, "Well, you know, you've got to prove to the Pentagon that women can fly and be be useful." <laughs> who, uh, could you tell us who Hap was? Uh, just who Hap was? General H. Hap Arnold 
was for all intents and purposes, the father of the creation of the Air Force. Um, at one point, the, it was called the Army Air Force Corps, and then later it became a separate division because uh, Arnold understood. He was, he, was, he was probably in his 60s, I think, in, by World War II, because he flew in World War I. And not only that, he was trained by the Wright brothers. So he has a, a long history of appreciating innovation in, in airplanes and, and, um, and, in, uh, and in air power and aviation in general. And probably why he took to Jackie Cochran so well was because he um, was impressed by her, her cleverness, how smart she was, and of course, how convincing she was, how much she knew about what she was talking about. She won the Bendix air races, right? Fastest woman or man, as I said earlier. And also he understood what the war was going to be, what was going to be necessary in order to win this war. And he saw in Jacqueline exactly what he needed in order to supplement what they needed uh, in the United States in order to get these planes to Europe. In fact, Jackie Cochran in 1939, that, that's how much of a visionary she was. She wrote to Eleanor Roosevelt telling her that you have to pay attention to women, that you're going to need them. If this becomes an all-out war, you're going to have to take advantage and use your women pilots. So I forget where we were. Well, I was kind of just explaining the difference between Nancy Harkness Love and Jacqueline. Nancy sort of, you know, it was sort of by accident. And she was asked um, and she agreed. She thought that women could be of use. But her division, it was called the Women Ferrying. Um, yeah, Transit Division, WWFTD. Yeah, listeners will have to forgive me on on every little little tiny detail please don't write in and and say how long we are but <laughs> no worry. We, we, we don't know what we're talking about it's just like we we're, have we're, no doubt we have no we're, doubt. we're gonna we're gonna post your email yes yes. Really <laughs> yes. Um, but 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 her her idea was different and and it's not to say i mean you know we we are sort of taken more with Jacqueline and it's nothing against Nancy i mean one of my favorite stories of Nancy is when she was in private school i think and she buzzed the chapel and all the all the tiles came off the roof and she was almost expelled but she somehow convinced them not not to expel her so she's a very you know nothing taken away from her but but Jacqueline is just on a different level you know um and and what she wanted was very different. And they ended up having two divisions for a little while where, where Nancy started first with the women ferrying planes and Jacqueline's program then got started, which was much more, um, you know, it was a training. Right. Yeah. It was, it was really, uh, it was the, uh, the first all female air base in Sweetwater, Texas, and it was training women. Uh, Nancy. So, so let me correct what I, I, I misspoke. What uh, Nancy Love was uh, at the head of was the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, or the WAFs, W-A-F-S. Sorry, Hillary, go ahead. No, no. And it's interesting this time, you know, we, we were experienced with this because of our Facebook profile and we reach um, a million or more people a month. Um, sometimes we have little details that are wrong in our posts and we happily correct them. But people have to forgive us a little bit because things were changing so quickly. Um, yeah. You know, when I mentioned that women had to have 500 hours, well, they, they, they changed the requirements. You know, there was a, they changed the age requirement. It was a it was a two year program, and you know things were kind of always um, 
shifting. So hopefully the, the, the little details don't, don't upset people, but we, we, we will pay very close attention to them and have many fact checkers for our, uh, for our documentary. But, but, but I think what people like to build up, unfortunately, is they like to build this story that Nancy and Jacqueline were uh, enemies or they were, um, you know, uh, um, competing and, and perhaps, Perhaps they were. I mean, honestly, Jacqueline Cochran competed with everybody. Um, so she's, she's, she competed. She competed against Chuck Yeager. I'm sure she's. I'm sure she was mad at him for you know. Well, yeah, she was. It's true. That, that was her nature. In, that was her nature. Jump in and say she was the first woman to fly faster than the speed of sound. For, right. To break, to break the sound barrier. So go ahead, Hillary. Yeah, no, so it's so it's yeah. only just to say that, you know, and, and Jacqueline, when it did finally become a military program, Jacqueline was going to be the head of that program. You know, Nancy or anybody else, you know, be darned, or I don't know if you could say be damned on the podcast, but you know what I'm saying? She was going to be in charge. It was her vision and her project. And um, and she made a lot of enemies. I mean, as you can imagine, I mean, there were plenty of, of people in the military and in the Pentagon who, who despised her. Um, and even at one point she, you know, we, we, we've optioned, um, a book that's really incredible. It's out of print, um, unfortunately, but Mattia has a, a relationship with this family, um, for, for many, 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 many years. And, um, at one point she turns to, uh, the, you know, this woman, her friend, who was her, her assistant and, and said, you know, I, I don't know if they're ever going to let this program happen with me as its head. You know, perhaps I should just mm. step down now. Uh, and, and that's a side of her that I'm sure she only shared with maybe one or two people. Right, right. Well, you couldn't afford to show weakness if you're trying to create something that's revolutionary. Right, right. Um, and, and you also asked about their training. Um, our women that we've interviewed love to talk about the fact that this was military training, you know, and this was very different than anything that they had ever encountered in their lives. And um, also some of them, uh, what's great about our project is we've interviewed the women when they're in their nineties and their late nineties. So they tend to be a little bit more um, maybe open about some of the um, experience, you know, more controversial, shall I say, they tend to share opinions that might be considered a little more controversial. Uh, but but one of our, our WASP, she said she was worried about going to live with a group of women. You know, she'd grown up, you know, women were a bunch of cats, as she says in our interview, you know. Wow. So, yeah. so it's, it's women, and, and we all know this, but women and men, we, we live in the same society. We live in a sexist society. So women are sexist just as much as men are, are, are sexist, you know? Yeah. And women are encouraged by the patriarchy to turn their uh, ambitions and uh, frustrations against each other rather than against uh, a, an oppressive society. So it's, yes. yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, surprising it, it's that taught. That. It's learned. You're absolutely exactly. right. You're exactly. absolutely right, Dawn. It, it's what is learned, and this idea of 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 uh, catfighting and competing against one another for a man or something. But and then in that in that same regard of how we identify male and female, Molly Merriman, who is our historical consulting producer, she talks about this whole idea of that. Uh, she says it so much better than I can ever uh, even repeat it, uh, which is 
men in uniform flying planes was like the epitome of masculinity. Right. Now, to put a woman in what is considered the... Um, the pinnacle. The, yeah. The, to talk about how threatening that is to both women and men. I mean, that's what's fascinating, that in order to protect yourself, if you're a, a woman who can't maybe think that they, they can't, they probably can, but they're afraid they can't meet the same standards that these women have met. So they have to side against them. Though I say that not to say that uh, they, they had many enemies, but for instance, when they went to, uh, when they first started out and uh, there was a group of women and they went to the uh, Blue Bonnet Hotel, they had to call themselves a, a baseball team. Otherwise, people would have thought they were a bunch of prostitutes. So they had to deal with what the culture and the social issues were at the time. And um, uh, we have a funny story of, of two women who were uh, waylaid over in some the small town. So they had to walk to town. So they're in their flight suits and stuff. And, and of course, they get arrested for being prostitutes because they thought they were soliciting, right? Because they were just walking to try to find some. And then they said, no, 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 we're pilots. We're, 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 we're the Air Force pilots. And so then they arrested them for impersonating an officer. Oh, so it was, like, it was like they couldn't win. They couldn't win. Yeah. To, you know. Anyway, I, I, I think that because of what they were up against, that in spite of all this, that they continued. And the worst thing for them was to wash out. That, that because if they had a, a bad flight lesson or a solo flight. Uh, oh, and Hillary brought up a, a great point, which is that these this was a civilian group of women, but they were trained under the military. They were trained just like the military, so much so that they got demerits if like their, their bed wasn't made correctly. Or, you know, the uh, Beverly Beesmeyer talks about the, the gloved hand looking for dust around her cot, you know, because if they had so many demerits, then they could wash out. So they, they were up against very strong restrictions, rules and, and conditions that they had to meet. Uh, even though they were considered civilian. And of course, these women were told that they would become uh, military, that they would be militarized. And in fact, they took a, an oath of office where they pledged their allegiance to the United States of America to protect and defend the United States of America. This, these are civilians, right? right but they, right. But everything they did was to perform like military. What was the specific reason they were not considered? Why, why wasn't it just, hey, this is a military program, we're going to bring women into it. Was there, is, is it just simply what it represented? They couldn't say we now have a women's air corps in our military, just the idea of it? Or what was the specific reason since they were doing everything but? That's an act of Congress. Okay, got it. Okay. So other than patriarchy, there was actually an act of Congress. So, so until that point, Hillary, there was people would not, women would not allow to be in them. I mean, just so I understand this. So, there were women in the military. You have to remember there were women in the spars, the, the um, sure. Coast Guard, the Army Corps. There was even a, a wonderful... The wax and waves, right? Yes. And there was a contingent of uh, black African-Americans who went to England for, to, to be postal clerks, uh, the, mm -hmm. the 6888. It, was, it had to do with piloting. And what was happening ah, was that the okay. war was winding down and these pilots were were uh were coming back home and they wanted them either to to be ground troops which of course they didn't want to do who, who wants to be a you know who wants to muck through the mud um or 
they had to, um, I don't know what other choice they were given, uh, Hillary. General MacArthur, yeah, General MacArthur needed ground troops at this time in the war. And so he was diverting a thousand Air Force cadets. He he said, I need these men. And they had a, um, I mean, yeah, not only was it not fun, but the, the death rate wasn't wasn't great. Um, and they said, we signed up to be Air Force and look here, here are a bunch of women, here are a thousand women, because there were about a thousand seventy-four women. So here they are taking our spots. But it was a two-year process because um there was a militarization bill for the WASP that was presented. Uh you know, but they you know how long it takes to get bills passed. They have to have hearings. And um Hap Arnold, General Hap Arnold got every single piece of legislation passed, everything he asked for, he got when he asked, you know, that he asked Congress for during this time. This was the one piece of legislation he did not get. So the WASP uh, expected that they were to be uh, militarized when they signed up. They thought they were signing, uh, Beverly Beesmeyer said, "I, I was signing eight years of my life. She actually then served in the Korean War, but behind a desk. Um, you know, and in, in, in sadly, um, at the time that the Air Force cadets were diverted, this was two years in. And at this point, there had been a growing campaign against the women pilots, um, that a, a smear campaign, a publicity smear campaign. There was a gentleman uh, who had a radio show and, and many columns, you know, syndicated columns around the country. Uh, that had, yep. Mm-hmm. That had a very big mouth, uh, like, um, you know, very similar to a Rush Limbaugh character um, and called these women petticoat pilots. So that was a euphemism for prostitute as well. That phrase uh, was adopted by many members of Congress. So during the debates in the halls of Congress, you have our congressional representatives calling these women who are putting their lives on the line, who are flying the B-29 when the men refuse to fly it, which you could argue won the war, because obviously that that's the plane that carried the atom bomb. You know, you have women doing absolutely everything they're asked to and more, believing, not knowing anything that's happening in the halls of Congress, not knowing how they're being disparaged, not knowing how their um, records are being tarnished, because they were tarnished. There was There were many documents that were produced that talked about how terrible these women were, uh, you know, how they crashed planes, how how they couldn't fly. Um, these planes very well. And, and so that was also why the program was canceled, because these women were, quote unquote, terrible pilots. This is, this is mind boggling to me is, I mean, just when we think back, World War II is that particular war we all know about because it is that clear divide, at least uh, for most of us that we believe between good and evil, and that you have this incredibly, this machine, this machine of fascism in the axis and you have them grinding through so many bodies of people fighting them when every last person is needed to pitch in, that that still this kind of misogyny, sexism, patriarchy would, would override the very need for the existence and survival of democracy is just insane. It is. You make me think of that, that some of these women's plane were sabotaged. Either they were ger- German sympathizers or they were just disgruntled male uh, oh mechanics, God. but they would put the, there is one uh, known case of sugar in the tank. Oh my goodness. So it, they, they were dealing, you know, what's interesting to me, um, Sean, is that they didn't have the word sexism 
They didn't have, they didn't think of that the world that these, these women didn't think of the world that they were living in as sexist. What they thought is, okay, these are guys, you know, you got to just deal with it. You got to do what you got to do. And they, they did. So um, it's, it's interesting to me that, that they found a way around it. And, and a lot of times the, the instructors would uh, take a liking to one of the women. So now you're in a catch 22 because right. if you ignore him, he's mm-hmm. not going to pass you. And if you do, then you get thrown out of the, out of the uh, wasp. So it's, it's really a tough road to negotiate. And I think they did it brilliantly. And in fact, we, we asked women, would they have gone into combat? And they all said, yes, that they would have if asked. And, that they, as as Hillary said, they flew the B-29, that we had uh, uh, Anne Baumgarten, who uh, was the first woman to fly a jet engine, and um, just a lot of these uh, first-time accomplishments that these women uh, had. And uh, unfortunately, during the 1940s hearings, they weren't allowed to defend themselves and um, or appear in court. I'm sorry, in Congress. So um, that that was also that's what that was the change, Sean, because I see we were talking about 1970s. That was exactly that's where we started the conversation. That's exactly the difference that happened in the 1970s. B. Haydu says we did to them in the 1970s what they did to us in the 1940s, meaning they wouldn't, that we, that in the 1970s, we used publicity and the media to get us where we wanted to be, was to be acknowledged as veterans. In fact, uh, B. Haydu uh, uh, has, <laughs> has a great uh, stint on, on To Tell the Truth. And, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So she's there. And, um, uh, and anything to publicize the work they did, because right. uh, because so, so it had gone on for so long underappreciated and just not acknowledged at all. And and to talk about, Don, what you were talking about, the, the patriarchy, what's interesting is these women, when they went home from the from from the war, they didn't talk about their accomplishments. They didn't want to seem to be outshining their husbands. Their husbands, right. of course, had been in the European theater. That must have, you know, that they couldn't have that. So a lot of them never spoke about what they did, about yeah. their accomplishments, because they didn't feel like it was right, that their husbands had done more than than they had done. And um, one of our wasps, not until she was 80, and she was at a memorial, um, a, a memorial Day celebration, did she, she said to me, it was the first time I realized that this celebration was like, I was a veteran, that I was right. part of this. And, and yeah. it took her until she was 80 to, to, you know, to somehow appreciate what she had done. And um, we can read between the lines. You know, Hillary and I go and we interview these women and, and we get to push them and prod them a little bit because they, you know, sometimes they don't want to upset the boat. And then now, of course, now they're you know, they were they were very excited to to, to tell us what it was like. Right. But it, it's a story that they kept. Not only did the government for 35 years keep it under wraps, also right. the women did for, for the longest time until they started having a yearly uh, get together. And then, of course, 1970s, when this this uh, uh 
headline came out that it was the first time female pilots are going to be graduating, it's like, oh no, you're not going to do this to us again. And right. sure enough, and sure enough, they didn't. And um, and they got their veteran status that they have been eluded them for so long. And then of course, in the 1990, uh, is it 92, that they got the, the, uh, the congrat the gold medal uh, from Congress, congressional gold medal. Is am I saying that congressional correctly? medal of honor? No, no, no. It's it's uh, it's for civilians. Well, and what's what's funny is the children that we've interviewed, the children of the wasp. Um, they uh, many of them said they had no idea what their mothers did until you know their mothers were in their fifties, sixties, starting to go to these reunions. Um, and you know they have these songs that they made up uh, in their time in the military. And some of the songs are quite um, a little, you know, raunchy, potty, yes. So they, <laughs> they said it's very funny to, to, to look at their mothers singing these songs. Um, another thing that the women did was they liked, some of them liked to play poker. And when they would get caught by the Boehner, because that's, you know, they'll get thrown out. They said it was Bible study. So our, our women were, were very uh, fun and clever and, uh, Beverly Beesmeyer likes to tell a story where she uh, was flying back to base and she saw a um, a a beer truck on the side of the road. It had gone off the road. It had a you know an axle or something. And so she landed her plane and loaded the plane up with beer and brought the beer back to base. (laughs) They were you know they 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 were sassy and yeah sassy and. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's and, this um, this sort of uh, uh, this silence that surrounded what they did during the war reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of uh, the UK counterpart of the Bletchley Circle, yes. which were uh, code breakers, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a group of women code breakers, and they were actually ordered by um, the British government to after the war to not speak of what they did. They right. essentially told them this is yeah this is a classified information right. and you're not allowed to tell anyone what you did during the war and uh, so there is this like conspiracy of keeping women quiet about um, their contributions uh, to to the war effort and to you know the cause of of democracy and freedom in the world and 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 along with that this idea that after the war they go home and, and they become housewives and that's when the whole you know uh, uh have a new dishwasher a new refrigerator <laughs> and um we, we did you know we we had one woman talk about she washed out and she said what am i now i'm going to go home and just be a housewife so they understood they understood on some level what they were accomplishing and what it meant to them for their identity and their sense of themselves. It's much bigger than just flying. It really was this, that, that a way of seeing themselves that hadn't been shown to them ever. And just to go back to, um, it was the Congressional Gold Medal that the women received in uh, March of 2010, which was an acknowledgement of their service to their country. And there was, uh, Hillary, will you remind me of the post uh, posthumously uh, it was given to um, Mildred Carter. Yes. So we haven't quite touched on the other facet of our documentary, which does also include women of color, or I should actually specify black women, because unfortunately, women of, of other races were allowed into the military. When we talk about segregation, we are specifically talking about 
black men and black women. And I, I just have to say that at this time, because obviously what our, our country is going through another, hopefully a transformation process where we can really honestly look at, you know, our, our, our origins and the uncomfortable histories that we've had, not only with sexism, but also with racism. So there were black men at Tuskegee, which many people are familiar with, but there were also black women pilots who were at Tuskegee. Um, and they did apply to be in the WASP. Jacqueline, as we mentioned, this was a military program for her, and she would stop at nothing to get it to be in the military. And part of that was the fact that the military was segregated, and she did not want to not be militarized. She didn't want anything to hinder those chances, let's just say. Um, she did write about later regretting her decisions, but she she did turn away black women from the program. Um, there were a, 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 a couple of Asian women that, that were in the program that have incredible stories uh, that are in our documentary, and they also experienced their own, you know, challenges with racism, of course, as you can imagine. Um, and we have a couple of Native American women pilots in the WASP program, but our black women pilots were at Tuskegee and one of the women uh, we hope to, um, well, we're certainly have a, a great storyline of hers in the documentary, but she was honored by uh, Barack Obama in 2011 as a WASP shortly before she died. She died about seven months later. So she was given honorary WASP status. How, how did that program exactly work? So if you were, so for the Tuskegee Airmen, obviously we know that the, the military had been segregated. They were the black units were uh, were sent into different divisions, specifically segregated black units. But in this unusual case for black women who wanted to be pilots, so... Yeah, it was, again, a civilian. I, I believe it's called the Civilian Air Patrol. So just like with our, our WASP, who weren't technically militarized at the time, but on their way to be militarized, there was a civilian um, air uh, or civilian pilots at, at Tuskegee. So the black women were, were technically part of that program. So as we're, as we're sort of coming to the end of the hour here, let's turn our attention to um, your efforts to uh, get these stories out there, to have these stories appear on our television screens and our movie screens everywhere. So you are in post-production, yes? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Putting together a proof of concept for networks and fundraising. And tell us all about that process and where are you with it? Well, I, I have to say the burden of that falls on Hillary's shoulders, I'm, uh, thankfully, because she does such a great job of it. So, Hillary, do you want to... Uh, Oh, thanks, Matia. Yeah, right. She said, thanks, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> Matia and I are our co-producers on the project. So, um, you know, Matia is the director, but but like many of us independent filmmakers know, you know, we have to wear many hats. Um, so my, my main hat is fundraising. Um, we built a social media audience from the very beginning, partly to show that we knew we had an audience. And, you know, our audience is 50-50 male-female. So um, luckily, the men of today are love this story, too, because we can't do it without our men. <laughs> Absolutely. But there is a hunger. There is a hunger out there. Yes. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> right. 
There is a hunger out there for these stories. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so we um, we will tell a story, even though this is a documentary. Um, our our vision is that it will feel like a narrative. Uh, we love documentary films, and they've they've really transformed um, in the last decade. So that when you're watching a documentary, um, y- you know it, it it's not like you're sitting down watching a bunch of talking heads as it's called, right? So our goal is to make the audience feel what these women felt and why flight was, you know, why they would were willing to risk everything, family, friends, their lives, just to get in a plane and to be in the air, the sense of freedom and, and the incredible power of that. So we have an aerial photography shoot that we are planning um, to include this, the B-25s and AT-6s and other other planes, they flew every single aircraft in the military. So we hope to have as many represented in the film. Um, Also to show the audience what these planes were like, because you know, they were vastly different from the planes that we all we all get in today or, or even some of the military aircraft that we know from our television and, and movies. Um, so that when these women are talking about some of these some of these um, hazardous stories they have that are so thrilling, we'll be able to put the audience in their shoes, you know, put them in the aircraft so they can oh, see. <laughs> right, yeah. right. In the cockpit. Thank in you. In the cockpit. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we we have completed, I'd say, our principal photography. We started back in 2015, thank God, because we only have two women alive. Um, you know, they were in their early mid 90s, and and when you're that old, obviously, you you just are so grateful for every day. And so we miraculously filmed. 16 interviews. Uh, We also produced events that were fundraising events where we brought the WASP to meet the public. Um, You know, again, most people have never heard of these women. And we also brought modern women military aviators. Um, So we had had a panel, we called it the greatest generation meets the next generation. So we filmed all of this um, for wonderful material for the film. And over the pandemic, we did, we gratefully raised funds from our uh, donors and fans. Many of our donors are repeat donors. We're so grateful for them. And we hired an editor and a writer. And so even though we, we had COVID, we were able to accomplish a lot in terms of combing through hundreds of hours. I mean, we have over 200 hours of footage and just organizing all of that. Let me, let me tell you. So going through everything, finding the best moments, piecing the story together, piecing the narrative together. We also researched and got in touch with academics and journalists and um, people in the military as well. We've, we have support from the military for this project and we filmed interviews over zoom so now that the pandemic is lifting, hopefully, knock on wood, knock um, wood yes. <laughs> we we would like we, we need to go back and film these interviews, you know, for in, in person. Um, but in the meantime, um, we continue to work on the script. It's it's called a paper cut in documentary land. So Mattia is tirelessly working out the um, audios and visuals and you know, we're also working with a writer and and that's piecing transcripts of interviews together with, um, you know, the history 
Um, and we have letters and diary entries and all kinds of first person material um, that we will include in the documentary. We, we will include it through voiceover. Our hope is that we will attract some celebrity actresses and we, and we have been in touch with, with some already uh, actors and actresses who will voice uh, some of the generals and 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 our women, you know, the major players. Um, again, all of this to really create a uh, feel of 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 a narrative film. So really to put yeah. you in it to bring it to um, life. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah. And without giving too much away, we feel our story is is different from any one. It would be the first feature length documentary about the wasp. Um, and, and two, we do delve into some of the um, uh, mystery, if you will. Uh, we're trying to answer the question of why you've never heard of these women. Um, so there's some some juicy stories, <laughs> juicy things that we are piecing together and and putting together through, you know, again, these first person materials and sound and and other cool visual graphics and animation. And, and I think, and I think uh, just, I know uh, we're at the end here, but just to maybe think of it this way, and certainly the way that Hillary and I have been thinking about it, is that um, that change occurs because of extended efforts of unknown and sometimes unintentional activists. So we are, uh, we are focusing on, on the women less on maybe the celebrity of Amelia Earhart or, or even a Jackie Cochran, but these were the women who boots on the ground, so to speak. And it's their stories that we find inspiring and we know will inspire uh, others. Wonderfully put. How, just to, just to wrap up, how can people either uh, support you or support this project and how can they follow along with this project? Are there any websites or funding or anything like that you want to share with people? Yes. So the reddoorfilms.film is our website where uh, they can, you know, read more about us and our team. And there are links on the website for the documentary, Um, how they can support us. If you are on social media, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Following us is great and sharing our posts and retweeting us um, is all wonderful. Um, we are supported by a nonprofit fiscal sponsor, so our uh, donations are tax deductible. Um, we also, I should mention, have developed a program with Molly Merriman, our historic research producer at Kent State University. Um, it's called Pathways to Flight. So this will be very exciting. Once the film is completed, it will be part of a education program, lessons, lesson plans for um, elementary and high school uh, programs and mentorship and outreach. So that's that's also very exciting. Um, So we are uh, we are also taking corporate sponsors. So if you happen to work at a corporation, we do have some some uh, very strong interest from a couple of aviation companies right now. So hopefully we will have some good news to share in a few weeks. <laughs> but, um, but yes, um, so so uh, a- any kind of aviation corporation, this is the perfect, absolute perfect sponsorship opportunity, partnership opportunity. Um, we are also, uh, you know, looking for 
production, you know, production partner as well. Um, so if you're listening to this and you, you, you are of the executive producer ilk, um, feel free to, <laughs> to, um, reach, you know, research us and, and, um, reach out to us. But, um, yeah, I guess did I think I've covered everything. I think you covered every every which way. Do you do you want to give the Facebook a page? Uh... Your handle is at Fly Girls WW two. Yes, at Fly Girls WW two on Facebook, and I believe that's Twitter as well. I'd have to double check on Instagram. Yeah. We are Fly Girls series. I think Fly Girls WW2 was taken, sadly, somehow. Somebody stole that from us. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you so much. Uh, once again, thank you to Mattia Carell and Hilary Prentice uh, for sharing their story. And oh, did you say the title of the documentary? Uh, you have a you know, we didn't. Before. I think you're going to have to guess uh, there, Sean. No, not at all. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. It's so important. It's called Coming Home, Fight for a Legacy. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. And uh, as always, thank you to my co-pilot, my regular co-pilot, Don Sam Alden. Thank you, Don. And thank you, Don and Sean, for having us on. Thank Appreciate you so much. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yes. This has been the 34 Cersei Salon. Make matriarchy great again. And uh, we thank you all for listening. Take care, everyone. And blessed be. <laughs>